1: Podcast For the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world, today is Tuesday, January 19th. On today's show, we have part two of my conversation with pro tennis coach and consultant Sandy Middleman playing a game of buy, sell, or hold on some of our most intriguing players entering the 2021 season. On today's show, we talk about five of those players and, again, the point of the game to discuss whether we are buying, holding, or selling on that player's potential entering this 2021 season really fun conversation yesterday we talked about Kenan FAA and Rabakina we also talked a little bit about how the two-week quarantine in Australia is going to affect those players who have to compete in the year's first Grand Slam just one week after that quarantine ends and it's always a pleasure to get the chance to speak with Sandy so really excited for you listeners to hear part two of this conversation just a quick reminder before we get to the show that we've got a lot going on here at Cracked Rackets. Obviously, we are so excited for this weekend's ITA kickoff event, uh, really the kickoff of the 2021 college tennis season. Of course, it's an abbreviated format, only seven regions this year, but still we're going to be covering all of the action here at Cracked Rackets with our NFL Red Zone type show. Someday I'm going to have just a solid title for you, but for now it's a working title. We're going to be jumping from site to site throughout each day's action, covering all the action live on our YouTube channels. So you can follow along with us, hear our commentary. Of course, again, the idea being if we're covering the NC State match and something hot is going down in USC, we'll jump right over to there, pick up that broadcast immediately. So I think all of you are really college tennis fans listening to this are really going to enjoy that show. And of course, if you have missed any of our preview content, whether it be our ITA rankings, breakdown, any of our college contender series, all of that can be found on the website or on our Great Shot podcast feed. Uh, Of course, for the immediate updates, to find the links to everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. Or again, just go to the website, crackedrackets.com. But of course, all of you listeners came here to hear a mini break podcast today. And the reason we're able to do these mini breaks day in, day out, because of the support we get from you listeners, because of the support we get from our Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. They've got all the best gear, folks, and it's at the best prices you'll find on the market. They've got great deals as well, including our promo code CR15, which if you use, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Just go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. If you have any questions, I promise you, their staff lives the Midwest values. Their title should bequeath upon them. So go to MidwestSports.com. They'll have answers for you. Use that promo code CR15 to let them know That we sent you there. Uh, But with that in mind, again, you came here for a mini break podcast. So without further ado, here is my conversation, part two of Buy, Sell, Hold with the one and only Sandy Middleman.
0: Now we move
1: to a category of players where I don't think it's as clear to buy. I actually think this is where things kind of get interesting here in our conversation. And, again, we have eclipsed the one-hour mark. I am sure we've got a solid— I can't
2: imagine. Yeah, it's shocking. I didn't even see us getting past 20 minutes. I was like, we going to be— interesting.
1: You know, again, I'm used to the biggest Sander in my life being Sandy Levin. Uh, congressman, of course, from Michigan. So uh, any my congressman for years, by the way. So uh, anyways, anytime I get with the Sandys, I always have a good time. But anyways, moving on. Buy, sell, hold. You're probably selling Sander stock at this point and you're buying Andy Levin stock, his son, now the congressman for my parents. But anyways, another guy who it's <laughs> unclear Do you buy? Do you sell? Do you hold? Certainly if it's his modeling career, you're probably buying at this point. And that's Grigor Dimitrov, who was the original heir apparent, right? We have our Grigor Dimitrov award we give away at the end of the season to the best young up-and-comer because for so long it was supposed to be Grigor Dimitrov who took over, who was the next big thing uh, on the ATP tour. And while it's safe to say that never happened, it's also safe to say Grigor Dimitrov is playing some pretty good tennis right now ended the year inside the ATP top 20 I believe he's sitting at number 19 right now in the live rankings was a pretty solid 2020 season for him he goes 19 and 11 overall that was his highest win percentage since 2017 and that was the year of course that he won the year-end championships and for Grigor Look, I think the the secret's out on his game, right? What he's going to do, what he's trying to accomplish on the court. But you look for him last year. Uh, he took a big jump, again, just uh, in general, in making first serves in terms of winning those first serve percentage points, putting more returns in play. You look at his results down the home stretch of the season, quarterfinals in Rome, round of 16 uh, in Roland Garros, semifinals in Antwerp. Now, what's notable in all three of those events he lost to Shapovalov, Tsitsipas, and Demon Hour, all next-gen guys, respectively. So my question to you, Sandy, going into this season, Grigor Dimitrov, buy, sell, hold.
2: I would hold.
1: Okay, make um, the case.
2: Yeah, I think, well, look, Grigor, Grigor has had the, the privilege and the pressure, the two Ps at the same time, to live in rare space in professional tennis for as long as I can remember, which is he has been in a rare category that only a few players ever get to, which is he has been literally considered a superstar in the world of tennis and lived the life and been looked at by everybody who ever goes to a tournament around the world or a practice without ever having been to a Grand Slam final, winning one and he's had a really tough time trying to figure out two things. What is my game actually, right? Because there's no question that when you use the phrase tools in a toolbox, that guy's got enough tools in a toolbox to build a mansion in every country, okay? That guy's got more things. Listen, you know, they they you know, listen, they they say that Fed's been touched by the gods and Fed's been touched by more than one god, okay? But Grigor has been touched by the gods, okay? There's literally nothing on a tennis court with a racket and his body he can't do. He's the closest thing in terms of flexibility you can find in the world to Novak. And to be honest with you, if you ask me, occasionally when he's doing things on the backhand side stretched out in the corners with one hand, I actually think it's more impressive than what Novak does with two. It's ridiculous what he does. Okay. But I think here lies the problem. Is he just with the people that are trying to help him develop and win match by match? Or is he still in his own brain trying to manage the own expectations that everybody talks about and figure out exactly the player he is and exactly the player he wants to be moving forward? Because… If you, you ask three questions, I think the answers are all pretty simple. Does he have the talent and the physical side to win a Grand Slam? No question, he's got everything. Okay? Does he have the mental capacity and control to do it? I think he's proved that he's gotten to certain spaces in majors, like his match against Rafa way back in the day, where he literally pushed Rafa past the limits to beat him. So I think the capability is there, but I'm just saying I think for him to do that and get to that place, I think that there needs to be too many things that fall into place, draws, other people losing, him not going five sets in the first round against somebody down two sets to love on the outside court, you know, that all that type of thing. So I'm I'm holding on Grigor just because I think too many things that he has no control over have to happen for him to do the things he has control over to actually succeed
1: yeah i it's all fair points And my trivia question for you what was the last title grigor dimitrov won
2: well i believe if i'm wrong and if i'm wrong i'll do a push-up notice i only said one yeah it's been, like, singular. it's been like 20 years since i did a half okay <laughs> so don't don't tell anybody okay okay Hope nobody sees it. um i believe you won the world tour finals
1: that is correct by the way only elena Rybakina will hear that so don't worry it's Bingo! just re- yeah I correct get the question right no push-up for sandy well done
2: so, and you know actually can i just jump in Please. because i only because I'm right, and I'm Jewish, and we're like, you know, we got the thing working, yeah, okay? Yeah, of course. Um, but you know what's interesting about that win, that World Tour final win? Like, you, I mean, if Grigor can go to the World Tour, if he can get into the World Tour finals, that's one accomplishment that's amazing, right? Top eight in the world, that's insane, okay? But if he can go there, and he can win the World Tour finals, Playing against only the best eight, uh, best other seven guys of the year. Honestly, he can win a grand slam. I mean, say hello. It's the world tour finals. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, he is. It, and it, it, I feel like it always gets lost because of the shot making, because of the. Uh, similarities in just aesthetics in his game to Roger Federer's. He is one of the five best athletes in men's tennis by movement, by uh, by flexibility, fluidity, power he can produce. He's a top five athlete. And so he still has that at age 29. That's why I probably agree with you. You hold Grigor Dimitrov, especially on hard court slams heading into the season. And I know last year he lost that five-set match to Fucevic in the second round of the U.S. Open. But of course, the year before, he made the semifinals. You look at last year for him in Australia, uh, another five-set match for him, lost 7-6 in the third, I believe, to Tommy Paul. But he's just a tough out on a hard court. He really is. And the matches he played, I thought the ma- quietly, the match he played in Antwerp, that semi my final against demon hour was one of my favorite matches I saw during the 2020 season, just a, a pinnacle of athleticism in a men's tennis match. Two guys who are going to track down every ball you throw at them. I thought that was the biggest thing for Gregor. And by the way, he's a guy who got COVID last summer as part of the Adria tour. And for him Hello. to come back, yeah, physically and bounce back as quickly as he did thats step one to have another month and a half off season under his belt if he's still in his physical prime, I agree with you. You hold on him for one more season. Now, do I think he's a top 10 guy, a top five guy? No, I think that window's passed. But can he be a guy who pushes a top 10 five, beats a top 10 guy on any in any given week? Absolutely. And I think that for him is the standard uh, or was the standard last season. And I think it holds as the standard in 2021.
2: So here's, here's something in respect to that. I think that one of the problems that Grigor's got, especially in the hardcore like you're saying, right? Talking about specifically hardcore.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He I kind of feel like he's the guy where if you put the athleticism aside because like he's got it in like in twenty spades, right? It's like oozing out of him, right? I don't know. It's like you wanna you wanna watch a podcast on tennis <laughs> athleticism? I mean, just sign sign up Novak, Gael and Grigor and just watch give him give him skills challenge, right? Yeah. It's like it's like, who has the longest slide in the hardcore from baseline to baseline? Let's test them out. Winner gets yeah. a million bucks, right? I mean, that's, I've that's been like, telling,
1: I've been on this case for years with World Team Tennis, why they don't have Carlos Silva in all-star event, like a combine type event
2: uh, during all-star weekend. I, I completely agree. I would watch. I mean, I mean, seriously. I mean, Gael's like literally the only guy I know that could literally like hit a ball better and faster like six feet off the ground <laughs> he, he he throws the whole principle that you need to like load from the ground up and that's where you get the power he just tosses that argument out the door okay he like makes coaches lose business all over the world i want my kids to jump um no but with gregor i think his problem is i really think he has a tough time finding his balance and not talking about physical balance i'm talking about game balance like does he does he start – because, like, I've seen videos of him in the last – you've probably seen the same things. But, like, on YouTube, I've seen some videos of him hitting in Monaco and, you know, and practicing, like, preseason and all that. And, you know, I feel like he needs to be the guy that rips the backhand more, right? Rips the backhand two or three times, looks for the forehand, rip it and go, right? But he gets into these, like – he gets into this, like, world of, like, the the Fed world where – it's like you see the you see the brain working, right? You see the slices, the inside out, the short angles, you see the spinny thing, you see the, you know, the creativity, the genius, the artist come out. And I think if he was just more straightforward, right? Just like literally go and hit, go and hit, look for the ball and go, I think he'd have a better time understanding who he is and what he's trying to do. But boy, let me tell you that match you talked about, well, first of all, Demon is a beast. <laughs> Good heavens to Betsy. Okay? <laughs> Don't want to see his name in the draw. Hello. Okay? It's like talking about bring your lunch pal like Andre used to say and then bring your hard hat like Andre used to say and then say a couple prayers and see what happens. <laughs> That's what that match is like, right? Good Lord. But, yeah, I mean, look, he, he, he's he got to be a hold because he's just too good. Yeah. No, he I j- mean, I agree.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you've said, I mean, and it's t- just – I thought there was a renewed aggression last season as well, and there's just – Grigor's willingness, you know, the backhand has always been the side that frustrates me because I actually think when he hits through his backhand, it's more effective than his sliced side and that's not always the case for the one-handed backhand. I think it is for Grigor. I think yeah. his ability to drive that ball down the line because of his strength, because of his athleticism flexibility when he's on the full stretch, that's maybe the one thing he can do that Roger quite can't on, mm. uh, on that side of the wing and so, yeah, that's why I hold because he is still, you know, he's been in our lives as you mentioned as a tennis superstar for maybe twelve, thirteen years, but he's still only twenty nine years old and I just think there's a lot of athletic upside still for Grigor Dimitrov. So I would I be- mean
2: let's put it this way. He he unfortunately lies in that rare space in the world of tennis where if he were to come along and put it together for two weeks and win a slam, there'd be a lot of people saying, Well, God, we've been waiting a long time for this. New, knew he, like the whole knew he had it in him thing, right? Okay. And then if he doesn't, people will say, oh, yeah, you know, he did. you know what I mean? Like, it's like they'll be on both sides of the thing. But <laughs> we both know, look, bottom line is he's got all the tools. He's got all the game and then some. I think it's just a little bit about, I don't know, could, you know, I don't know him. I've never been around him in terms of ever meeting him. I've never had that chance. But if you look at his game just purely from a like a mental side, he has those mo- – like, you mentioned a match against Fucevic. That's actually a great example of something. Fuchevich is another guy. He's like Demon Owl, right? Who wants to play that guy? Yeah, okay? no one. I, I mean, that guy just brings, like, a backhand. He's not going to miss a forehand. He's strong as an ox. If you took off his shirt, you'd think he was, like, in bodybuilding, <laughs> right? He can run for weeks, not hours. You know, he, he he's just, like, a tough guy, right? He's, like, in it for the battle. And Grigor sometimes gives that look in his face. Like he's not a 100% like, you know, he's like kind of 98% like where he wants to really dig in and like, oh, this is a tough moment. I might have to come back from like 1-4 down, right? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of a thing. So anyways. but I, I think, think it-
1: Grigor Dimitrov is the king of the 1-4 deficit. Talk about a guy who just it feels like he's always down a break, and he just kind of wants that drama. It sort of wakes him up. No, I i don't have the stats to prove that, much like I wish I had the number to prove he hit through his backhand more during 2020 than he was in previous seasons. But those are two Sandy Middleman stats I can get behind. Those I am very much – yeah, I'm very much well, – I think we would have
2: to do a new segment called 1-4 uh, down. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's how I feel right now in terms of this podcast versus the amount of time. I'm one no, for. For some reason,
2: I feel like I'm giving you segment shows. I'm like, no. I, I almost feel like I should be a part of the team and like be jumping in all the time. And you know, be
1: my, you know the team. adage, my house is your house, my friend. <laughs> yes, yes, you know that. We'll leave the seat open for you always. You'll be, you can take Elijah's spot at the dinner table. We usually leave it open for him, but we'll let it's you. It's a fill simple
2: it. thing. It's a simple thing, my Jewish friend. <laughs> Signature required. Signature. Required. <laughs> <laughs> Signature required. All contract discussions can be had later. Okay, yeah, that's
1: hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. No, I love it. All right. Well, yeah. speaking of someone yeah. who's got all of the athletic gifts, who yeah. I don't think anyone would question, again, has the skill set to compete with the best and the best, match in, match out, but not to dominate, to compete with, but not to dominate. And we've seen that play out throughout the course of her career. Is Alina Svitolina. And look. I think for Svitolina, there was – or at least I will speak for myself. I freaked out a little bit at the beginning of last season. I looked at her start to the year, and I just thought this is not – what I expect from Svitolina. Svitolina is someone who, you know, as a top five player top five player for these past three seasons, to see her really early in the season suffer the losses she did in particular, you know, I think it was before the turn, or it was in, in Brisbane, yeah, first round loss to Danielle Collins. Then in Australia, she lost uh, one in two to a then, at the time, unseated Muguruza. She struggled during Fed Cup, losing to Conteve. Uh, she lost to now Habino and Joaquin. Amanda and Isamova in Doha, there was a little bit of a collective freakout. Like, ooh, what's going wrong with Svitolina <laughs> this season? Of course, then you look at what she does over the course of the next few months. I believe Svitolina, she finishes her year, and I don't want to be wrong here. She was twenty-four nine now in her last fifty-two weeks. She makes quarterfinals Abu Dhabi, quarterfinals Roland Garros, finals of Strasbourg, which she wins uh, at the end of September as well. And I mean, in retrospect, you look at that loss to Muguruza, you say, oh, that's not bad at all. You look at the loss she took to Conteve in Fed Cup. Conteve had top, I think was top 12 in wins last season. You're like, okay, that's not a bad one either. The other loss I forgot, she loses a first round match in straight sets in Dubai to Jennifer Brady, who at the time was a qualifier. But of course, with the hindsight of the US Open, you realize, oh yeah, Jennifer Brady on a hard court, really freaking good during the 2020 season. And so, for Svitolina, it was unequivocally a bounce back to end her year. And yet, you know, she's twenty six years old, turns twenty seven this season. She's yet to win a grand slam in her career, of course, has made the semifinal, I believe, of multiple grand slams already. And I think she's done it on a couple of different surfaces as well. My question for you for Svidalina, as we've asked with all of these players, Sandy, you buying, you selling, you holding?
2: I'm buying. I I think that she's Again, I think that she's in a good space in her life. Um, I think that there's, I think if you just talk about pure game, you know, throw stats and numbers and rankings and all that kind of good stuff, fluffy stuff that everybody talks about. I think if you just look at the game, she can hit, she can hit shots anywhere backhand. She can put in a dime. Uh, Forehand is better than good. Movement is fantastic uh the bigger the bigger the match the bigger you know she gets tough she's mentally she's a warrior. um those are some of the trademarks of what's gotten her to where she's got to and kept her there um you don't win the tournament she's won without being what i call a a great player right you just don't do you don't win the world tour finals you don't win those type of events without being a great player i think if there's something, if there's if there's, uh, if I'm putting on the coaching hat, if there's a reason or one or two reasons why she maybe hasn't played a grand slam final and maybe hasn't won one, obviously you can't win one if you're not in one. Um, I would say the two things for me that stand out are, I kind of feel like when I don't feel like she's aggressive enough, like in court position in like in the what we call those early stages of tournaments like the grant you like early stages of grand slams or early stages of events because quite honestly she doesn't need to be she can rely on the legs the consistency the moving around you know the the level of the opponent to a degree and i think that sort of carries her through but then when it gets to get to like maybe the second week of a slam and the level gets higher the girls are better obviously and can go bigger and she needs to go bigger and have like a more aggressive core position. I just kind of feel like she hasn't done it. So it's hard for her to commit to doing it and believe in it and trust it. So she doesn't do it. And then she does too much running, I think, in my opinion. Uh, Too much, you know, especially too, like she's so good from the backhand corner on the run. She's so good that I think she just relies on it because she knows she can do it. And I think that after a while, you know, against those top girls, you know, it can come back to haunt her a little bit. Um, but does she does she have the does she have the the legs like the feet the you know the physical you know the the one one or two shots that are like will hold up and she, she can really go after. Her. And you know, interestingly about Svitolina is if you listen to her talk about her game, she talks about herself as that she's a more offensive player than defensive player. She says that a lot. Like if I I read a lot of things she says, and I just say to myself, look, if you practiced, like say, I don't know. And again, I'm just tossing this out, right? I'm not working with her. Don't, you know, she's got a coach. He's very good. But I'm just thinking if I'm trying to take that next step, whatever that next step is to get there and hold that trophy. If I spent like one week, two weeks playing practice sets where I had to go to the net. Within every point, within say four shots, and just practice it. I believe that that would help her when those later stages of events came along, and she was playing the the bigger players, the better players. To do it, and I think she's capable. So, I and and honestly, like, what'd you say? She's twenty six. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think turns twenty seven this year. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Venus is forty. She's got thirteen more good years in her. That's a career. (laughs) No, I mean, look, every
1: metric points to an Alina Svitolina now entering her prime. Not past it, not done with it, entering it. 2019. Quarterfinals, semifinals, semifinals of Australia, Wimbledon, and the US Open, respectfully. The last uh you know, French Open she played last year, quarterfinals of that event as well. So now she's done it at all four grand slams, and you mentioned it. She's just such a tough out. I mean, the amount of things she can throw at you, it's not qu- it's a little more linear. Then Sophia Kennan, if that makes sense, like in in terms of where she comes at you with her power and her direction, the directionality. That's not a word. Whatever. Uh, It's a
2: word for today. We're adding
1: it. It's, it's you have your middleman stats, I have my directionalities um, you know it's a it, the direction of her shots it 's a little mm-hmm. more line drive it 's a little more through the court, but she yeah. 's a better athlete I mean from the outer thirds she goes from the outer thirds to inside the baseline about as well as any player making that transition on tour. it's it, I, you know I talk about the power tennis uh, neighborhood i also there's Simona Halep alley, which just has to be an alley because you can run fast up and down an alley or maybe it 's a court. Um, and Svitolina, not an owner in Simona Hallop Court, but again, someone who they let hang out there whenever she'd like in terms of her movement. Uh, Coco Goff, the youngest buyer in that property, by the way, in WTA history. Um, mm. But that's a story for another time. Uh, she just does a lot of things well. Like, I agree. It, much like the discussion with Grigor Dimitrov, Alina Svitolina offers up too much on a match-by-match, point-by-point basis to just, uh, you know, to count her out right away, to say, ah, you know, I'm I'm just not that in on this Svitolina experience, and yet, you know, again, in terms of the things that are available for her to continue to improve, the second serve, she's at a 46% win percentage, that's... It's fine, like especially with all due respect in women's tennis, it's not horrible. But the first serve win percentage at sixty five percent—that feels like with her athleticism, with her placement, with the variety of things she can do, as you mentioned days ago when we started this podcast uh, with uh, you know the Sophia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding, by the way. I'm having a Weeks. great time. Weeks. I will keep. I'll keep talking as long as you're willing to keep talking with me. But uh, the thing we mentioned for Sophia Kenin, how do you actually play your service game? And Svitalina is someone who has so many options, right? When she's playing her service game, that she can get away with not the best first serve percentage. She's never hit, you know, made more than uh, 62% of her first serves during the course of a season. And it's like that is the lowest of hanging fruits to improve. If you are an elite player, 65%, I know that's a very superficial number, but that's the number. Make 65% of your first serves, opportunities will open up from there. If she can improve, two percentage points on her first serve. She is someone who for her career has had a win percentage on first serve points over 65%. I know I'm throwing numbers at you here, Sandy, and you listeners, and I apologize. What I'm trying to say is she's not quite elite, but she's really, really good with her first serve. If she can make it with the frequency of of an elite server, that's the low-hanging fruit to make the match that much easier to ensure she continues to get to those quarterfinal rounds and maybe could be the thing that pushes her over the edge to a semifinal, maybe even a Grand Slam final as well.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you, you do a great job of sort of breaking down, looking at numbers, breaking them down, you know, doing all that. You probably do it in a vastly different way than I do it, but... It's still, it still has a great effect, but I'm going to bring up another point that you made me think about just because you were bringing up numbers, okay? Mm-hmm. I look at Svitolina kind of like I look at Angie Kerber.
1: Interesting. Okay? Yeah, I like
2: that. Kind of like I look at Angie Kerber. So Angie Kerber, Hall of Famer when you win three slams, Hall of Famer, of guaranteed, right? But the interesting thing about the three slams, when you look at the three slams she wins, okay, is... You know, people look at Angie and they they make this assumption that because she's got, you know, unbelievable movement, leg strength, right, great athlete, all those things, they look at her and they say, okay, like, how, does she have a big power? No. I mean, she hits the ball well, obviously, okay, but does she have, like, some shot, you're like, whoa, watch out, don't leave the ball there. No, she's not like that, right? What did Angie do well when she got to one or was winning the slams? Well, it's very simple. She – Diffused power. She gave it back really well. She had incredible angles from different difficult positions. She held the baseline well with her legs, really, you know, injected it, took in the power, gave it back. And I really think one of the things that was, you know, it's still underrated about Kerber, and I think this is where Skidolina has a chance. Alina has a chance to sort of take that next step towards the final of a major or win one is – I think what's undervalued about Alina is I love it when she shows the fight in the court, when she gets super emotional on the court, she brings a crowd in, she pumps the fist, she screams out. Like I like that because sometimes you you see the girls in their or, or the guys too. You see them and you know there needs to be a response there, right? That's the moment. Show response. Show the girl, show the guy you're in their face, right? You're not going anywhere. That's the, the way you do it. And I believe that could be one of those pivotal things to taking her from a level, like supremely good, right? Great player. You don't do what she's done if you're not a great player, right? Okay. Because honestly, you you made the comment, I don't know, it feels like a week and a half ago when you said it, when we started this, <laughs> this podcast, but um, we'll just count it on like a, an hour and a half ago or something like that, whatever it was. <laughs> You said something about if so and so could do that, would they sign for that right now? Right? So, if Alina Svitolina or any girl in the world right now that's five years old and starting first day could sign on to win 20 plus million dollars or 25 million dollars in prize money, win the world tour finals, win however many tournaments she's won, be at the level she's been at, you know what I mean? Have the Christian, would they sign on that if somebody said, we can guarantee you will do it the very minimum? That. Oh. Write it up. Here's my signature, yeah, right? Exactly. Okay? So she's had an amazing career, but I think that's that one sort of step, right, to taking that next step. And because look, like Gregor, right? He won the World Tour Finals. Mm-hmm. Alina's won what? She won Rome, right? I mean, you don't you don't win all these tournaments she's won unless you're a great player, right? Mm-hmm. So I really believe she's a buy. I believe she's got still the big upside. I believe there's room to get better. Like you said, great athlete. Also still young, right? Young. And like, you know, Serena and Venus are making it like it's gonna be okay to be around when you're forty-three. <laughs> so she's got at least another fourteen years left in her, right? Exactly. All things go well. So yeah, I mean, why not?
1: Yeah, though no, they're all on the T B twelve method. They're all And on top that of that,
2: time. she's half the pairing of Gems life. Yeah. What no. else do you want? No, I agree. I mean, built-in practice partner in Gaël. Yeah, two-time,
1: two-time Rome champion, Shenzhen finals finalist, uh, you know, Dubai champion as well, semi-finalist at Wimbledon. All three surfaces, all of the results you could be looking for from a pro career, she's got them. The question is, can she make, make that next step? If that is your question, maybe you're not willing to hold, but I think I speak for both of us. We are absolutely holding on Alina Svitolina heading into 2021. Uh, again, now we get into... Uh, An interesting zone, a a different player who this may be our first, well, I'm curious what you think, because someone who has not had the success of the five players we have talked about so far, or at least to the degree that they have, he never ripped off a 12-month stretch where he was a dominant player, but certainly Kyle Edmund has a result that can match a lot of these players on this list, as of course he was a semifinalist at the Australian Open, was that 2018, 2019? I think it was 18 it was Edmund, 19 it was Puy. One of the years was Chung and Edmund, the other year was Pui Tsitsipas. I think it was 18 was the first, 19 was the second. Anyways, in Kyle Edmond, you have someone who at 25 years old is at a really interesting point in his career. You look for where he's at in the rankings right now. Kyle Edmund currently sitting, uh, or 26 years old, excuse me, at number 49 in the rankings. So in terms of a top 100 player, that's It's right near the vomit zone, where right now he'll probably get into Masters events, probably can get into anything he wants, but maybe has to play qualifying depending on the quality of that Masters event. Certainly doesn't have to worry about slam qualifying, but for a guy who had a career high of number 14, number 49 is not where he expected to be at 26 years old. And, you know, quietly last season, Kyle Edmund did win a title during the year. He ended up winning the second New York Open, I believed, uh, or I suppose the first one of the season, second one ever, and uh, you know, outside of that though, it, it was really a struggle for him, you look in his last 52 weeks, he's 8-8 eight and eight overall, lost first round last year in Australia, lost second round last year to Djokovic, but lost second round at the US Open, I don't think he ended up playing the French Open, I believe he pulled out of that event due to injury, but a guy who's clearly stagnated. During his past three seasons, you look at the records he's put together after going 37 and 22 in 2018. He goes 17 and 21 in 2019, 10 and 9 overall last year in ATP Tour matches. Sandy, in the case of Kyle Edmund, buy, sell, hold.
2: Sell. So, Ooh. Yeah. Uh, super, super good guy when you hear him talk. Really nice guy. Good, good person, good kid. But in terms of the game, um, I mean you know listen I don't want to be critical of injuries right because they, they happen and they set players back and you know they they stall progress and they do all those things but look, I think that there's two issues that Kyle's got to bring that game back up to from wherever he is now what you said 49-ish 4950 anywhere in the stratosphere of 20 25. one is I think that, as big as his forehand is, because it's mammoth when he's hitting it well, but the problem is the grip is so extreme, so unbelievably extreme, and God, parents out there, coaches out there, if you got a kid with a super extreme grip, don't hesitate when they're young to change it and work on changing it because, you know, listen, obviously, if you can ever have a level of Kyle Edmund and get to the top 15, you're doing something right. But I think that that grip causes problems, even though he's got a huge forehand. I think that also, too, moving away from technical stuff and grips, I just think as an athlete, I think he's a bit stiff. And I think that sometimes when he plays guys that, you know, obviously he's hitting the ball well, they're hitting the ball well, but if you put those the the ball strike to the side and you just talk about ability to move and defend athletically against what you're being given – I think, it's, I think it's tough for him because I just think he's a bit stiff in the corners, a bit stiff in general, and I think sometimes, I don't know, it, it causes him you know more problems than it does good. Actually, do you know who Kyle Edmund reminds me of, which is kind of ironic because mm-hmm. they're both British? <laughs> I,
1: was, I, I
2: thought you were going to say Luke Jensen. Talk about uh, a stiff, but go on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll just stay away from that. Luke just to me the other day. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, no, but he, he kind of reminds me of Andy. Murray a little bit in the movement, like because because Andy is amazing. I mean, unbelievable career, right? Amazing talent, but in just terms of the legs, like how the legs actually physically work, Andy's always been a little bit of a stiff, but yet amazing athlete. But stiff in the movement a little bit, and even like you know, you look at all the great two-handers, right? All the great two-handers. What a Novak's another planet. He has like a, he resides like in a space, like in a plane where he doesn't invite anybody to. the to that location. Okay. Undisclosed yeah, sure. alarm key only by special code. Okay. Yeah. No,
1: that's the but, South beach, Miami neighbor. That's the South yeah. beach, Miami. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, I got but, it.
2: but, but he, he, where Novak's in the splits, defending the corners, you'll never see Andy there ever. You never did when he was at his best. All you ever saw him do was do the crossover step. Right. Or you'd see him step out with the left foot and sort of almost shovel the shot, even though his, the hands were so good with the back end. he could do it. And be in points but I just think that Kyle's a little bit too stiff in the corners and then stiff when he's defending so I think that causes problems and I also think he's too one-sided heavy mm-hmm. so like if the backhand or the forehand's not on then I think that puts too much stress on the side where he's what I call a little bit more you know sort of maybe not as complete not as strong the backhand
1: no I I think those are all good points stiff is a good word and You know, not to devolve into an Andy Murray Djokovic conversation, but go watch the 2012 Australian Open semifinal. I've referred to it consistently as the best, the most physical match in tennis history. And you're right, Andy Murray was a power athlete, maybe the best first step in tennis history. And that's how, with that, and with his anticipation skills, that's why he was an elite mover. That's why he was in that neighborhood during his physical prime because he was just so much more fit than anyone else maybe ever in the sports history just the muscle density yada 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 that's how we made up for things but you know Kyle Edmund does not have that elite first step. He is, and I think his movement's gotten a lot better, and I think he's gotten a lot more comfortable moving to that backhand wing, but what he wants to be doing is teeing off on forehands. What he wants to be doing is honestly camping on that ad side of the court, going inside out, inside out, then roping the inside in. That's his forehands combo, and I think every opponent Now knows that, and for Edmund, what's been so frustrating is some of the losses he took down the home stretch were in his hands. I mean, that Jason Jung match he had one. That Lloyd Harris match he had one. He had that first set against Lloyd Harris one in Cologne, in Rome against Cechinato. Again, he's up a set. I think maybe even had match points in the second set before losing that match in the third. And you know, you can throw away the Djokovic loss at the U.S. Open, but so many of Edmund's losses lately. 7-6, 7-6 to Isner in Auckland. 7-6, 6-3, 7-6, lost to Lajovic, first round of the Australian Open. These close matches seem to continue to go against him, and you can just see the doubt in his body language, in his confidence. And so, you know, I think the serve for him, the first serve's a weapon. His serve plus one game, like, again, it's almost FAA-ish, and like, what is the script for him? Well, it's big first serves, big forehands, that's the match, that's the routine for him. I really do think... The funny thing is, like, I think the backhand's gotten better. I think the volleys have gotten better. That's why it's so hard for me to sell on any of these players, but it's also pretty unequivocal. Again, you look at the stats here, and I'll pull it up as we're talking for Kyle Edmund, in close matches of late, he's just really struggled. I mean, in all of his tiebreak, or any time these matches go to tiebreakers, you look for him 1-6 in, in his tiebreakers over his last 52. You want to spread that out uh, to include the vast majority of his career, 63-72 and 72 in tiebreaks, and just so many of those losses seem to have come uh, since the start of the 2019 Season in fact, let me hold on. Let me get this custom time zone. You're hearing it all live here, folks. Love Tennis it, love abstract, it. Bring, the bring best in the business. The no, yeah, rock and roll. My thing is I can always talk through everything. If I keep talking, you don't even know what I'm doing, right? This could be a planned talking plan for me. But right now, four and seventeen, Sandy. Four and seventeen in tiebreakers since the start of the 2019 season. That stat was worth the delay because it shows Kyle Edmund can hold serve, but people know. Serve to his backhand. Play the plus one ball to his backhand. You now have control of the rally, and then get to the tiebreaker. Serve to his backhand. He'll go down a quick mini break, and then he gets in his own head. And it's just it—it it hurts to watch a player fight themselves actively during a match. That's what the past two years of Kyle Edmund tennis have been.
2: You—you you said one word above all words in all stats in all directions. that means <laughs> okay. everything to everybody in any way possible. You ready? Yeah. It's the silent, but yet the noticeable and powerful confidence. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah. Players say it all the time. Coaches of players say it all the time that my player or that player is, they just need that one you know, moment, that one match, right? To start to get like a little bit of confidence or it's the other way, right? Okay. So, I, you know, it, it, the confidence is a fickle thing, isn't it? Especially like at that level, because look, listen, between you and I and the rest of the hopefully 255 million people that watch or listen to this so that we can get that big, uh, that big other sponsor. Um, but, you know, just confidence is important because the truth is, is that, listen, is there any doubt that Kyle Edmund can play great tennis? No. Is there any doubt that Kyle Edmund did play great tennis? No. Can he do it again? Yes. Does he have the skills? Yes. Does he have the mammoth serve plus one? Yes. Is he holding because he's gotten so many tiebreakers? Yes. All these things are yeses, but he's had two things that are not deniable in the last X amount of time, right? Stretch amount of time, which is one, well, putting aside the thing that everybody's dealing with, with the pandemic, but just other things, right? Number one, he's lost a lot of close matches that's not easy to deal with in your head because you're thinking, oh, if I just made that forehand or if I just hit that volley there or, you know, or if I just did that or next time I'll do this. And then the second thing is, he's been dealing with a lot of injuries. So if he can potentially get himself healthy and he can maybe get on that, get that get that one match, that one tight one, right? Where he sneaks it out like, you know, five and six or, you know, six, three and a third or whatever it is if he sneaks it out, gets that one or two points, that could be the difference in him suddenly starting to put matches together and, dare we say, believing in again? Yeah, no, I mean... That's the first uh, time I've had you that quiet for that long. I no, because
1: like Kyle Edmund is a... Yeah, exactly. No, Kyle Edmond's a... It's a sore spot's the wrong word, but it, he's someone I... I believe in the talent. You talk about the extreme forehand grip. It's very noticeable. It jumps out on the screen, but it works. When it's landing in, it works. It's untouchable. And he's a guy who has an elite skill, the serve plus one. It can win him matches. You talk about it. If the confidence ever returns, then you have a a top 50, top 30 player on your hands. And so that's why I'm holding for Kyle Mm -hmm. Edmund because the bottom hasn't fallen out quite. Quite yet. It almost it's creaky. It's creaky. Call the carpenter because you're having some issues with your floor. Um, but I'm not quite ready to sell on Kyle Edmond. He is a hold for me heading into 2021. All right. With that in mind, we're going to do eight players here. I got two left for you. And as I myself, Sandy, am a big fan of Panera Bread, I don't know if you are, we're going to do a you pick two here classic. So I'm going to give you two options one for the men, one for the women. Going to let you pick both of them, which way we go. Let's start with the women. We can either chat Maria Sakari or Karolina Pliskova. Who's more interesting to you heading to the 2021 season and buy, sell, hold for that player?
2: Maria Sakkari.
1: Oh, I love it. I've talked so much Sakkari on the mini break, so it's perfect. My listeners are like, we don't want to hear Gruskin's thoughts on her anymore. Sandy, tell my listeners why I'm not crazy. I imagine uh, you feel the same way I do.
2: Um, I think I think Maria's a buy. Um, I think that um, in a way, uh, she's actually in a very strong way she's for me reminds me a lot of her countrymen she reminds me a lot of stefanos and only from like obviously size is completely different game styles vastly different technicals different but in terms of two things that matter she's completely driven and she's completely you know focused and goal oriented towards one thing how much can i win how much can i get better and what do I have to do to get to the top, top of the sport, right? Okay. I believe that in this last, say, two years-ish, two-plus years-ish, and she's been obviously getting a little bit older, but also growing in game, developing. I believe that there's one single thing that she needs to develop in order to take that next big sort of step, whatever that next big step actually looks like, okay, in terms of result or win or you know uh, finishing a slam whatever that looks like that one thing is one of her biggest assets is also one of her biggest liabilities which is she brings this emotional fire this intensity this burning desire to hit the best shot or make you know make the point or you know or whatever it is right compete and more often than not like you kind of feel it, the volcano about ready to erupt with her, right? Things are going well. Then somebody gets in a grill, right? They're playing a little bit, pretty good. Cause as the girls are really good, they play pretty well. She'll miss a shot and she'll start doing the old head shift towards the coaching box. And she's about ready to sort of, you know, if the coach was one foot in front of her, she'd have the punching, the, she'd have the boxing gloves on and they'd be on the 10 count. Okay. Cause it's all their fault that she missed the shot. But I think if she gains a little bit of control of that and she gets a little bit more even throughout a match, that fire will show up at the right times because there's no question that she's in it for the 10-round fight every time she steps in the court. And she's got the skills and the athleticism, so for me, she's a buy. I mean,
1: watching her through the first week of Abu Dhabi, Sabalenka wasn't... I mean, she won the tournament, so I suppose she was the biggest winner, but... Pretty clearly Maria Sakri was the player who took the biggest jump in terms of when we last saw her in Ostrava and what we saw from her in Abu Dhabi. I mean – and I asked her about this in the post-match press conferences, which everyone can go hear on our Cracked Interviews podcasts. There was an aggression about her. In Abu Dhabi, the way she was hitting her first forehand, in particular, looking to take that ball early on the rise, inside in, inside out. You talk about a Gaël Monfils as a player who can play in the air. Maria Sakkari not exactly jumping, but she's playing that ball shoulder height, right above her waist level, and using it as a buttress to move forward to get to the net. Where she's a pretty comfortable, not an elite, but a comfortable volleyer, in my opinion. You know, knows where to put her body, knows where the next volley should go, and honest to God, in volleying, that's 80% of the battle, is just being in the right position, knowing what to do should that ball come to you, Um, and... She's just got the athleticism, another top tier athlete. The movement, the power she can generate, both wings. Uh, in terms of her ground strokes, she's solid off of. There's just no discernibly obvious attackable area. Now, I do think when it's a Sabalenka or a Rabak one of those types of players, you can get into her body a little bit with her po- with your power because you know she doesn't she doesn't have the best length around the court. Um, but at 25 years old. Buy, 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 buy. Like, I'm, I'm buying <laughs> all of it. Give me all of the stock in Maria Sochery. Uh Does it help that I'm also 25? Of course, and that's my generation. Always got to stick with us. If we don't believe in us, who will? Um, but I don't know if it's a Grand Slam championship she's going to win this year, but it's going to be a WTA 1000 event or just like an appearance at the year-end finals. She's going to do something like that this year that puts a lot of people on notice.
2: No, she's, look, She she's she's better than good. And I think that she brings three intangibles that I think matter over time. Of course, you're not going to get the, you you know, you may not get the the five or six or seven wins in a year, but I think that she's finding like her space on the mm-hmm. tour and she's figuring out how to be at some consistent level and like elevate a little bit. And I think that she's going to bring those three things. She's going to bring number one, she's committed. Right, she wants to be better than she was the day before. She wants to be good. She wants to try to be in the biggest matches on the biggest court. She lives for that. Number one. Number two is, she's a beast physically. She's so fit, and she's trying. And I mean, you see the workout she does. Like I'm like, okay, seriously, that's what you want to see in your athlete, right? And then, I just think that it's again, it's just controlling that emotional, you know, that emotional stuff a little bit when it matters. But I think that you're right. Bye. Bye, and not bye 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 like bye bye see you later but bye bye yeah. keep on buying
1: no to get back to wall street here uh <laughs> this is yeah definitely the scene where uh charlie sheen's character gets noticed right by the broader firm i'm forgetting who's slick back uh who's who's the opposite of in that movie I Gordon can see Grecco, the face. right yeah who is who plays gordon gecko i can't think of his oh, name man, I um, yeah i know i can't think of the actor's name this is bad this is come Michael on michael douglas that's exactly what it is yes two times right today yeah hey trivia questions you're killing it i appreciate that no michael douglas um great in that movie anyways he would be like yeah bye 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 and it's not a ponzi scheme either this is a legitimate (laughs) buy for sakari too (laughs) so uh it makes it that much more enjoyable not uh we don't need a full description just one word answer here carolina Pliskova. buy sell hold hold I like that, by the way. I appreciate that you're not selling. I would also be holding. Um, All right. For my last you pick two, we can go two, two options here for our final men's player. We can go with another player who was one of the most successful in the opening week of the season, Delray Beach title winner, Hubi Hercats. Or we can go with a guy who struggled quite a bit uh, during the 2020 season and was open with his struggles about adapting to the conditions of the 2020 season in David Goffin. Both interesting players for very different reasons. Sandy, you pick the player. You tell me which way you're going with it.
2: Let's pick Hubie Herkacz. Beautiful. Hubie and,
1: Herkacz is my definition of a modern-day player. Do you agree with
2: that? Yeah, I'm going to pick Hubie for one, two reasons. Um, Got to give the po- young Polish kids some love. Always. Okay? Um, David's a great player, nice guy, but you know he's 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 been in the conversation for so long, right? Okay? But... No, you be. I mean, listen. Herkatch is good. I mean, from from what I know from a distance, because I don't know from a near. Um, a hard worker, really hard worker. Um, seems to have his head on his shoulders when when he's playing. And listen, he's got he's got skill oozing out. of him. The kid can play. So I'm a I'm a big believer in bye bye bye. No, I
1: I I agree. I mean. Look, for Hoopy Herkott's, the reason I say he's the definition of your modern day player, 6 foot 6, uh maybe not 66, 65 six, though, certainly uh, oh.
2: Can't believe he doesn't have that extra inch. What's wrong Yeah, with
1: it's Well, it's big because, you know, everything hangs a little <laughs> bit. No, um, I mean, proficient <laughs> off the serve, right? Can hit the kicks, can hit the slices, can go hard flat at you. A quality returner as well who's more than anything else going to put that ball in play. Now, sometimes he gets a little bit bump-happy, slice-happy with the block forehand return, and I do think it's not a Tiafo sized hitch, but it's a little bit of a hitch on the forehand, and it is an attackable return. That being said— Talk about a guy, Andy Murray-esque, in the way he negotiates around the court. Andy Murray, you never wondered about his skill set, right? He could play defense, turn defense into offense, move forward, a proficient volleyer, on and on and on and on. Hoobie Hercats can do all of those things as well. And I think the biggest struggle for him, and look, he was really good to start last season. Uh, I believe had some really good wins at the ATP Cup beating. I want to say he beat Paz. I think it was, no, he beat team, excuse me, beat team, beat Chorich, beat Schwartzman. Uh, he then, of course, goes on to make the semifinals of Auckland uh, and then uh, was, you know, starting to find his rhythm really at the beginning of the season before we were stopped by the pandemic. Now, of course, he struggled the rest of the way during 2020, wins on and off, you know, had a really good performance in Rome where he beat Evans, he beat uh, beat Rublev before losing in three to Schwartzman. I think for Hubie, why I'm so fascinated by him heading into 2021 is I think we know about as much about what he wants to do on court as he does heading into any given match. He's a guy with so many skill sets and much like Svitolina and the Kenons of the world, it's what does he want his game plan to be in 2021? How is he going to make it just a little bit easier for himself so that he's not going 13 and 12 in his last 52 weeks of pro tennis matches? And you look for him, again, some of the numbers that jump out right away for Hubie Hercott's what he's done thus far uh, in his pro career. It's, you know, the the low, like things such as the first serve percentage, right? For Hubie Hercats, he's a guy with his size, with his, uh, with his height, just like, he can be better than 59.5% on the first serve in percentage for the course of a first season. He's a guy who wins over 70% of his first serve points. So let's say he gets that number to 63, 64, 65%. Again, these are just little things where you're winning points on the margin. Where For a guy who plays a lot of physical three-set matches, that makes the difference. I also think Hubi Hercotz is a chameleon. He'll play whatever style, you know, whatever his opponent wants to play that day. Oh, we're playing plus one tennis. I'm down to play plus one tennis. I haven't done that in a while. (laughs) Oh, you want to grind today? I'll grind. You want to make the match messy in the outer thirds? You want to drop shot me? I'm happy to move forward. It's just he can do so many different things. Plan B, plan C, plan D is there. What's plan A for Hoopy? And is it good enough of a plan A? Is the plus one power that he has and the skill set he has enough to get him into the top 15, top 10 in an era when so many of these guys are like a Felix ogier scene. where you're like, okay, that plus one forehand's is just a win. And that's the question for Hoobie. And I think the answer is yes. And so that's why I particularly post Delray Beach, bye, 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 once again, for me to end the show. But I don't know. I mean, curious your thoughts to all of that.
2: I'm gonna do my best to do two things right now. Um, I'm gonna answer your question, but then I'm gonna make a comparison. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, for all the tennis Love historians it. out there, I'm gonna bring a name into the conversation that neither you nor I nor anybody else that watched this show woke up today and had this name in their head. I guarantee.
1: If it's Pancho Gonzalez, nope. I already thought about him. No, nope,
2: it's not. I definitely <laughs> lost, but no. <nope. laughs> So I agree with you around the surplus one. I agree with everything you're saying around about H- Hubie. Did I say his name correctly? Yes. Please, Hubie. Hubie. I apologize. Hubie. No, double O. So it's Hubie. Double yes. O. Okay. I just want to make sure I get that right because I have a lot of Polish friends. So I just want to yes. make sure I get that As right. As do
1: That's I. Right. I checked
2: with them and they said, no, it oh, is Hubie fantastic. Hube. Thank you yes. for that clarification. <laughs> yes. Um, he reminds me a little bit of a modern day Miloslav Michir.
1: All right, I'm going to YouTube now. Make the
2: case. <laughs> oh man, I feel like I'm in a courtroom. I got to figure it out now. No, uh, no, because listen, from Hoobie basically glides around the court with his movement. He doesn't look like he's trying that hard to get around the court. He's just simple and solid from both sides. He can rip the ball. He's got clean ball striking. And Miloslav, back in his day when I was growing up, was called the Cat because he never looked like he was making an effort to get around the court, but he was always there. So for me, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. I'm so I
1: no, I uh, so. I currently have some Messier Lendl highlights playing yeah, on mute in the background. Yeah. I think it's their 87 Lipton championships in Key Biscayne. There's a 12% chance you were at this match.
2: <laughs> Let me guess. You got Miroslav Machir wearing Reebok? Well, first of all, Miroslav, look,
1: it looks like I could beat Miroslav Mishir with the way he's hitting the ball. He look is just standing in the center of the court. It literally looks he like when you're— so good. Okay, but when you're 17 and 18 years old and a rising star at your tennis club like anyone who – gets into tennis as long as we have is, Uh, and you have to teach those like adult groups from 4.30 to 6.30, and you're just like, oh my god, why did I allow myself to be put in this scenario? (laughs) That's how it looks when Miloslav Masir is on the court. It looks like he is there as well just to get his sweat in, Uh, but it does look pretty easy. No, I mean, he just makes it look so easy. Everything's out in front, and everything's very, very solid. They called him the
2: cat for a reason. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't because he had a pet one at home, not that I know of, but anyway. no, and honest to God, it's a phenomenal comparison for Hoobie Hercats. Like, I'm watching this, and I'm like, yeah, why
1: aren't you hitting the ball harder? It looks like you can, Listen, um, and it's just When you go do power. all your other
2: 526 different podcast shows during a week, <laughs> don't ever forget the time that I made the comparison out of the blue, the last question of the day for Hoobie Hercats, and I brought up the cat, I think you're I can guarantee three. you. His name hasn't been brought up in conversation on tennis segments in ages. And that guy, the cat, could play. Snower, racket, to, Reebok. Uh,
1: you know, I agree with you. I'm about to text my uh, my tennis coach who would also have mentioned the cat. And I'm going to be like, hey, what are your thoughts on Milasov Mertzer?" And he's going to give me the full answer. He's going to be like, "Milos, you're talking about the guy who beat Harhus in the 88 Newport battle? <laughs> and I'll get a full 1988 lesson, but... No, I I like it. The cat, milasov Mercer. That might have to be what I call some of these other players as well because I don't think any of these are bad comparisons. Uh, no, I'm a buy on Hoobie. I, I think it's an Let's unequivocal buy. Yeah. buy. Just, there are Absolutely. too many skills there to be impressed with, and so uh, I think our last one, always good to end on a positive note. I guess if we were to have done Gofen, would he have been a buy, a sell, or a hold?
2: He would have been a hold. He might have been a
1: sell for me. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about a Davidovich Fokina Gofan
2: comparison? Oh God, I'd have to put. some. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'd now I'd we're just to, that on. just sort of came out of like literally left yeah. field, and there's no left field around me, so. Yeah, I'd have well, to... you know, baseball
1: to... goes for two hours too, so I figured we might as well <laughs> just hang in left field for a little bit uh, as well. But no, I mean, look. Uh, in terms of, and we mentioned a lot of players here, are there any other people I, that we didn't mention today? And I'm going to do a separate buy sell hold on all of the Americans uh, with a different podcast guest, equal, but of course, lo, you know, but uh, not equal. Who could be equal to the great Sandy, the middleman, middleman? Oh, wow.
2: Um, That's too deep. That's too precious. Keep that yes, one Yes, But any other
1: players you will be circled in on, whether it be in Australia, Clay Court portion, whatever it may be, during the course of this 2021 season?
2: Hailey Baptiste. <laughs> or Leila Fernandez. Either girl. Buy them.
1: Yeah, buy, buy, buy. I love that, absolutely. Well, then, I would see- not
2: be, very quickly, in 30 seconds or less. Mm-hmm. Please. I would not be surprised if Layla Fernandez played the second week of a slam this year. I would not. If she did, it would not surprise me. Um, and in terms of Hailey Baptiste, I just think she needs time. But, you know, she's, you know, she's got... Well, if the word oodles is appropriate, <laughs> she's got oodles of skill. I she has to well, figure it out over time how to use it. That's it. The
1: only thing used less than Miloslav Mercer's name on this podcast is oodles. So that's a perfect place to put it. Cool Sandy, stuff. And- Yes, and as always, we are so appreciative for your time. For all of our listeners out there, I know I'm going to get the chance to see you on the Tennis One app soon, but for them out there who want to follow your work more closely, have questions for you, want to know what's coming on All Front Sandy Middleman, what's going on in your world?
2: Yeah, what's going on in my world? What isn't? That's the question. Not what is, <laughs> but what isn't. We're uh, doing a lot of things, actually launching a show. Uh, very shortly called Coach's Corner on Tennis One app. Please download it. Check it out. I'm going to be doing it weekly. Having coaches, industry people, friends of mine from around the world that I think bring interesting stories from the world of tennis and philosophies and stuff like that. Talk tennis, talk development, talk a whole bunch of interesting stuff. More conversations about Miloslav Machir and comparisons like that. But doing that and, uh, yeah, just uh, keeping busy, middlemantennis.com, do some consulting for parents, players, and coaches, and um, many more uh, Many more podcasts of Crack Rackets and the Gruskin AG himself to come. Catch us on the Tennis One app coming up soon. And, yeah, look forward to seeing you all soon. And uh, don't hesitate to come check the show out
1: no looking forward to coach's corner i will be a staple in the crowd and of course again looking forward to having you on the podcast sometime soon i'm pretty sure we're going to end up dividing this into two parts so our guest's going to get two days of sandy middleman so sandy thank you so much yes for taking the time as always stay safe stay healthy and we will talk to you soon
2: thanks a lot for having me appreciate it great as always catch up soon of course take care
1: hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Sandy Middleman a huge thank you to Sandy again it was a two hour conversation and when we record we don't divide it into part one or part two of the recording session we go two hours straight he was willing to give me that sort of time you hear us joke about it during the podcast but it's always a pleasure to get the chance to rack his brain on his thoughts heading into the professional tennis season and again there are so many other intriguing players we did not mention if there are any other names you'd like to hear us discuss or perhaps any you like to throw into the ring yourself? Just be sure to reach out to us at Cracked Rackets at Great Shot Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and of course, if you like this episode, I promise you there is more uh, podcasts you will enjoy in our Cracked Rackets feed. So this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, Inside Out Podcast, and the Sideline. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. You need those more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Figner and Daniel Westoff for the... Of an any job they do day in, day out, shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Just go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off all of your tennis needs. One other reminder, again, our coverage of the ITA kickoff weekend begins this Friday. We're going to be going first match to final ball, covering all of the sites on our YouTube channel. We're able to live stream those feeds, add our commentary over it, and jump from site to site as action heats up around the country. That's going to be a program I know all of you college tennis fans will enjoy, and it's free. So be on the lookout for that. And any support you're willing to show us would be sincerely appreciated. Uh, but with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, Sandy Middleman, who, again, you know as a pro tennis coach, consultant, and you're going to be able to see more of his work on the Tennis One app. For our super producers, Flickner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.
0: I'm a man of